I was um, just sharing with um, Deborah and uh, Kathy that I, um, my husband sort of reminded me that when I don't actually tell that story, the whole story, that people seem a little bit disappointed. So I hope that we will have an opportunity to talk more about the book and the story that she's talking about. I did want to share more with you this morning about my walk with reconciliation and forgiveness. And so we may not be able to cover all the ground, but I'm happy to talk with any of you at any time. I see you around the city, call me, whatever. I get letters from people I don't know and calls from people I don't know, so I'm happy to speak any time. But um, I will say good morning again to everyone, and I greet you in the name of the one who created us all, sustains us all, and the one who created heaven and earth and all mankind. I am very humbled to be here with you today and just to share a brief message with you on my thoughts, uh, the subject of reconciliation. Um, and in order that I might respect your time, I understand that many of you are here on a lunch hour, I typed this message and I timed it and I'm going to really try to stay close to the transcript. So, uh, But I made the transcript brief enough so that um, after the comments, I'd like to share with you what I consider to be several real-life examples of, of reconciliation today, how we can all get involved. And I'd also like to share with you a couple of letters that I received. Um, as I say, I've been receiving letters maybe now for the last five years. And uh, they come from everywhere, from all kinds of people. And they warm, warm my heart. And I think they will warm yours as well. So. I'll offer my comments, um, give you those examples, and then read the letters. And then I hope that perhaps you'll have a lot of good comments and questions uh, to help us all continue to move forward on this reconciliation journey. My biblical basis for sharing uh, the message of reconciliation comes from 2 Corinthians. It's the fifth chapter, verses 17 through 21. These verses read as follows, if there, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world back to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let us pray. Holy Father, we invite your presence and the presence of your precious Holy Spirit into this place right now. We ask that you bless each individual here and incline our hearts toward you. Amen. I wanted, uh, this wasn't how I intended to start, but I wanted to mention to you all that uh, on Monday I visited Hillcrest Elementary School. And, well, it's not an elementary school, it's a facility. Uh, you probably know more about Hillcrest than I do, but um, I visited there, spent several hours, and uh, 
Tuesday, yesterday, I visited Cherokee Bend. And uh, the difference in the, um, the questioning and the uh, uh, thoughts of the children was, was pretty amazing. The children were amazing in themselves at both places. But for example, one of the questions I got at Hillcrest was uh, when I was telling this story sort of, did you want to get revenge? I know you wanted revenge, you know, that was kind of one of the, and everybody laughed and I said, well, no, uh, revenge was not on my mind actually. And, um, but when I was at uh, Cherokee Bend, the primary questions came, well, how did you feel? How did you cry? How long did it take you to feel better? And they seemed so very concerned about uh, knowing that I was feeling better now. There were, those were four fourth grade classes. Our children are amazing. And uh, I always like to mention some of my personal experiences because I'm, I've learned so much from them. Uh, someone I greatly admire, Dr. Marion Wright Edelman, uh, said, uh, she wrote a poem, and the title of that poem is, What's Wrong With Our Children? And she goes through a litany of things that children experience, and in the end, she says, we are what's wrong with our children. So I'm always encouraged when I go and they ask such wonderful questions. They're so very loving. I got so many hugs. I got handmade um, thank you for coming cards and they made me promise to come back. So our children get it. They really get it. And I hope that um, some of you will have an opportunity to make some of these visits. Webster, the dictionary Webster, defines reconciliation as to restore to friendship or to harmony. My Tyndale Biblical Dictionary defines reconciliation as a change of relationship between God and man based on the change status of man through the redemptive work of Christ. Several important facts, I believe, are germane to this biblical definition and also to the biblical exegesis. Number one, God exercised grace toward man who was out of harmony with God because of sin. God did not need to be reconciled to us. We needed to be reconciled to him. Number two, all sin has been removed, and a new basis for relationship and harmony has been established. Number three, reconciliation therefore arises out of God, but through Christ. And number four, in appreciation for his grace toward us, we become ambassadors or carriers of his message to others. We carry this message in what we say as well as in what we do. What does being reconciled to God look like? Failed reconciliation might manifest itself through wars, poverty, divorce, abuse, robbery, theft, murder, even racism and other social issues, and all of the crimes that we may read about in our daily news. All of these represent alienation and estrangement from God. These are fundamentally spiritual issues and they have at their root and they have as their result selfishness, inner conflict, and social discord. Reconciliation to God means that our love for him constrains us from unkind acts in the category that we just mentioned. There are three ideas that I'd like to offer you today 
uh, to all Christians actually, as we think about reconciliation. These three ideas, I believe, are mandatory ideas. They are critical to the thinking of how we achieve reconciliation. The first idea is that lack of reconciliation is a spiritual problem. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We remember that in South Africa, as they attempted reconciliation, the conference that they named and that they had was called the Truth and Reconciliation Conference. Reconciliation is a biblical and a theological principle first introduced to us by Paul in the New Testament. Many individuals do not use the words spiritual or religious interchangeably. For the purpose of our conversation today, I will use them interchangeably. I've met so many people, this was a puzzle to me recently, who said, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Or those who say I'm religious, but I'm not spiritual. So I'm using them interchangeable today. But they expressed that uh, they did not consider themselves religious because they had left the church. And their experiences in the church versus their experiences reading the word of God seemed to have collided somehow. And they were confused about what they were seeing. Number two, reconciliation and religion cannot be separated. The way or the road, if you will, of reconciliation and the way of love are ultimately one way. John's gospel reminds us that God is love. What I see as my birthright from God, I must ultimately see as your birthright from God as well. Number three, reconciliation. Excuse me. Um, reconciliation is a biblical imperative for today, right here, right now. It is not something that we're saving for later. It's not something that we get to practice when we leave this world. Reconciliation is dependent upon each one of us individually every day that we live. My journey of reconciliation began when I survived a church bombing and a neighborhood bombing. Four of my friends were killed in the church bombing. My heart was heavy and depression was my best friend for over 20 years. I would tell people sometimes it hurt to wake up in the mornings. I tried to understand loving your neighbor as yourself or love does its neighbor no harm. Those are passages from Romans 13, 9 and 10. Forgiveness is an integral part of reconciliation. One of my favorite books is the book by Bishop Desmond Tutu. The book says, there is no future without forgiveness. I believe that he was correct. Then God showed me a more excellent way, and the more excellent way was the way of love. Through a complete surrender to him and to the ways of love, I began my personal pursuit of reconciliation. And this is what I share with you today. I captured this story, this um, journey, the beginning of it, in my memoir, which is entitled, While the World Watched. Uh, and again, I, I'm happy to answer any questions about that uh, when we're done. So what does reconciliation look like? If it is now, we know what the world looks like without it, but if it is now, 
how do we know when we've achieved it? And just how do we achieve it? We can get glimpses of reconciliation or what some people have called in the past the beloved community in the Bible. We can accomplish the beloved community when we can see the world and the people around us through the eyes of the Savior's love. We get a glimpse of what the beloved community looks like in Genesis. We remember that in the original creation there was no sin, no sickness, no death. There was a fullness of everything. The earth supply of food and essentials for man. Everything was perfect. In Isaiah, Isaiah speaks of a new heaven and a new earth where old men will live out their years. They will not bear children doomed to misfortune where lambs will feed with lions and none do harm and children will lead us because they are all filled with the knowledge of God and John speaks of the New Jerusalem in this way all of these uh, uh, visions represent a vision of the beloved community but John speaks of the New Jerusalem in this way where old things are passed away and all things made new and cities are made of gold and precious stones where we don't need the sun or the moon because the, the glory of God is the light and the lamb is the lamp. We can visualize and we can dream, but we can also create our own heaven on earth right here, right now, if we would but acknowledge and live the words that we speak in the Lord's Prayer even when we pray I extracted a few of the lines from the Lord's Prayer, those from the very beginning. Uh, the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father, which art in heaven. And I just want to look at the next two lines. Well, next, actually three lines. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come is one of those lines. Thy will be done is the second line. And the third line is on earth as it is in heaven. The following reflection and exegesis is from my Tyndale publisher's biblical commentary on this passage in Matthew. On thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. The word kingdom means reign. This petition in this prayer is the expression of a wish that God may reign everywhere and that his laws may be obeyed and especially that the gospel of Christ may be advanced everywhere to the world is filled with his glory. We pray that God's kingdom being come and others may be brought into obedience to all the laws and ordinances. By this, let it appear that God's kingdom is come on earth. Let God's will be done. And by this, let it appear that it has come as a kingdom of heaven. In other words, let us introduce heaven right here on earth. If we make Christ just a title or titular prince, if we call him king but we don't do his will, we follow not his commandments, having prayed that he may rule us or that we be ruled by him, we simply make him an idol. The second verse, thy will be done, the second line, the salvation of the soul is the result of two wills conjoined, the will of God and the will of man. If God wills it not, the salvation of man, 
the man cannot be saved. And if man wills it not, the salvation God has prepared for him cannot be delivered. This means a deliverance from all sin, for nothing that is unholy can coexist or exist with the divine will. And if this be fulfilled in man, surely sin shall be banished from his soul. The will of God is that all of us, that all men should obey his law and be happy, be holy. The word will here has reference to his law and to what would be acceptable to him. That is righteousness. To pray then that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven is to pray that his law, his revealed will, may be obeyed and loved. God's law is perfectly obeyed in heaven, and his two true children most ardently desire and pray that it may also be done on earth. So the object of this petition and these lines in the Lord's Prayer is that God's name be glorified and that his kingdom be established here on earth. And by being placed first, we learn that achieving his glory and his kingdom are more important than the wants that we may carry in our minds, in our hearts, and in our spirits. This is reconciliation. God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But here are a few earthly attempts and examples of a heavenly reconciliation, but that might take place right here on earth. The first example is from First Grace United Methodist Church. This church is in Louisiana. Consider that Grace Methodist Church was a white congregation. First Methodist Church was a congregation of color. After the Katrina hurricane, this pastor, Pastor um, Sean Anglin, was given responsibility for pastoring the Grace Church. But when there could be found no pastor for the Church of Color, this church was given to Sean Anglin as well. And Sean went and spoke to both congregations and says, it's, it's either now or never. Uh, there are no more, there is no more room for excuses. And he brought those two congregations together. Today that church is called the First United Grace Methodist Church. Uh, he boasts of a growing membership. Uh, their pictures uh, are on uh, the internet and all over, and it is a church that I plan to visit this year as I uh, continue this work in reconciliation. But that's my first example of, of right here. Now, the second example is, uh, I'm not a political animal, but this is an, a political example, but I wanted to share it with you anyway. Uh, in Fayetteville County, Georgia, a couple of months ago, I was in, actually last month in January, I was invited there to come and, and bring uh, a message on reconciliation. And when I arrived, I was greeted by four presidents. The first was the president of the Fayetteville County Tea Party. The second came from the Fayetteville County president of the Republican Party. My third welcome came from the Fayetteville president of the Democratic Party. And the final welcome came from the Fayetteville County president of the NAACP. 
and they wanted me to know that they had read, uh, they knew about Birmingham, they had read the book, they uh, were familiar with the message, and they wanted me to know that they were really trying hard to work together. And um, what the Tea Party president took his pen off and pinned it on my lapel and asked me to wear it forever. And I said, I'm sure going to try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but they were a very gracious group. And uh, the only words I have for them, they asked if I would say something. I said, you know, it warms my heart to know that so many of us realize that we can work together. We come from all walks of life. We saw that when we did the $3.8 million campaign, remember, for 16th Street. And we had contributions. The Greater Birmingham area was responsible for most of those contributions. But we saw people come from all walks of life, all socioeconomic political groups. Uh, there was no dividing line. Everybody contributed something. And I think uh, we all can contribute, especially toward uh, uh, creating a, a world of reconciliation. And this is what Fayetteville County was attempting to show me. Um, another story I'd like to share with you is uh, I was in Huntsville, and uh, my husband was working there at the time, and I had gone and um, had dinner with him, and my intent was to drive back to Birmingham. So as we were standing on the corner, I was actually saying goodbye to him and was going to walk to my car, and someone, a lady drove up, and the person in this car um, had two children in the back seat. But her first words to me were, ma'am, can you loan me $5 so that I can get some gas? And I was actually thinking about the fact that she's not going to get much gas for 5 bucks because the gas was right at $5 around that time. It was close to it. And so, um, I, you know, I only was thinking for a minute, but I think she thought I took too long to respond. So she came back and said, um, I don't drink, I don't smoke, and these are my children. And she pointed to two children in the back seat and she called their names. And uh, then she went on to say, I just had my husband arrested uh, for, for abuse and I'm trying to get out of town before his family bails him out of jail. Well, I didn't have to think about that quite, you know, I, I didn't need all of that information, but I'm a, I'm a female, I have a husband, I have children, I understood exactly where her heart was. I had one bill in my purse and I knew what that one bill was. I had traveled to Huntsville with one $50 bill and uh, I did not use it while I was there. So I had a choice of giving it to her or trying to decide if I could go find change or, uh, but the most important thing was not to let the husband see the $50 bill being handed to someone else. And so I had to reach in my purse and sort of uh, ball it up as though I was looking, I spent a little time as though I were looking, and then when I got it in my hand and just kind of balled it up, I reached over into her car and kind of, you know, transferred it to her, her hand. And I said to her, my prayer is that you will reach your destination safely and that God will provide someone for you and your children. And um, we, she drove off. We continued to talk, but in about two minutes, she came back. She went around, no doubt she looked at that bill, and she turned around and came back. And when she came back, she said, will you pray for me? So in uh, pretty much the same words, I prayed for her again, but then I added, God, if she doesn't know who you are, if she doesn't know you, uh, in the pardoning of her sins, may she and her children both come to know you, and may there be someone waiting in Kentucky. Now, I don't know this lady. I've never seen her again. I've seen her since then, and I probably won't. 
I will say to you that she was not someone who looked like me. She was someone who looked like you. But in this world of hurting people, and I know you know what I'm saying, we see it on television, we encounter these people uh, everywhere. There's, the world is full of hurting people. We have to be willing to reach out whatever they happen to look like. We can't worry. I saw her as a sister in Christ, as I said. I had children. Uh, I knew the price of gas, and I wanted to help her get wherever she was trying to go. The final thing I would say to you is um, that I had the privilege. Uh, God has blessed me tremendously to travel so many places. Last year I spent time in Israel, but I've also spent time in Rome and Spain. and Everywhere I've gone, that's what I was talking about reconciliation. So one of the places I traveled to was uh, Dublin, Ireland, and there was a monastery there, um, a little place called Limerick, and there were monks, Benedictine monks, at this monastery. And we spent time there with them, and one of my questions to the monks were, how is it uh, that you're able to, they pray 24-7, so how is it that you're able to stay here and to pray, and no matter who comes on this property, it's considered safe property, so whoever showed up on the property, uh, they kept them there, they prayed for them, because they said they never knew if God maybe had sent them there to be uh, changed or you know, whatever their problem was. And so uh, one of the monks said to me, um, we live by this particular passage, it is from Hebrews 13 and 2, that passage says, be careful how you entertain strangers, for many have entertained angels unaware. The monk said to me, we believe that everybody we encounter is a test. We don't want to fail any of our tests, so we treat everybody that we encounter as though they were an angel or God himself. This was, I believe, my most important lesson learned. When I look back over all of my experiences, my time at Divinity School, the project that I'm working on right now out of New York, I consider these, this to be my most important lesson, uh, entertaining everyone as though they were angels unaware or sent from God because we actually don't know who is and who isn't. This is one of the letters that I received. Um, I, I have three short ones. I want to share those and then I'll close. This one says, I am Willard Avon Evans, 33 years old, born March 4, 1978, currently incarcerated for 15 years. Uh, I live in Birmingham. I read your story in the Alabama Baptist. I met Bobby Frank Cherry. You'll remember who he is, I think, everybody. Uh, in 2004 at Holman Prison. We were in lockup together. Sister McKinstry, Bobby Frank Cherry confessed to me his role in the 16th Street Church bombing incident. Also, I led him to Jesus Christ. He repented and asked God for forgiveness of his sins. Uh, we used to pray together and to study God's work, word together. I will never forget the day that I met him. God bless you in all you do. May the peace of God be with you. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that was one of the, the cellmate of one of the men convicted of the church bombing. Uh, this one comes from a lady in Tallahassee, Florida. She says, on the anniversary of the bombing of the church, she was last year, 50 years, I want to thank you for your book, While the World Watched. I can't tell you 
how the book moved me. I am a 55-year-old white woman. I grew up in East Tennessee, far removed from the civil rights movement of the 60s. I was in high school before I shared classes with African-American students, and I just never gave any thought to how they felt differently about growing up and how they felt so differently from me. We were friends, and that was all that mattered. I just posted my uh, Facebook wall, blah, 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 for, for others to see, and may God continue to bless you in your ministry. Uh, and this final one I'll read, it says, I've been watching while the world watched through a, bl a blur of tears since the very first pages. I'm grateful to you for your heart, your evident love of Jesus, and your tender telling of this brutal story. God has placed a very special message in your hands that you have delivered in a moving and powerful expression. My husband and I are involved with the foster care system, and for the past 11 years, we have had in our custody a biracial son. This is a book that he needs to read. The racism that he has been spared is only possible through your gentle courage, and we are in your debt. Today, it seems that all doors are open to him, and I am sure these are circumstances that you could only have dreamed, prayed, and hoped for. God bless you and thank you for your courage. Um, I have one little short one that I like to, to lift up sometimes. Does anybody here know uh, Marzette Fisher? Works for architect, everybody, somebody does? Okay. Well, Marzette sent me a letter as well, but it only said, um, God chose you to represent us to the world. What a good choice he made. And so that one is on my mirror, my refrigerator. I'm reminded that there are people counting on all of us. Um, whether you get those letters or not, God is counting on all of us. He's counting on you. He's counting on me. I'd like to leave you with the thought that came from Hebrews uh, as it relates to reconciliation, the story that I just gave about the Benedictine monks. Do be careful how you entertain strangers, for many have entertained angels unaware. Treat every human interaction as a test from God. We all want to pass our tests. We want to see our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we all want to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. May we pray. God, please give us a heart for reconciliation, a heart for your will and for your way. Enable us to see the world the way that you see the world. We thank you that you walk in front of us, you walk behind us, and you walk beside us. Forgive us for our sins in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.